Father, we thank you for this moment that we have together. And Lord, we just commit it to you. Come and have your way. Who wants to be transformed in this place? Who wants to hear something that changes everything? Holy Spirit, come and translate for every single situation, for every single life, for every single heart. We are open to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Woo, so exciting. Let me get the boring stuff out of the way. I've written a book. So um, what I say boring is that, you know, I, I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad. I just want to get into the word. I just want to get going. But um, I've written a book. We're sold out um, during the conference. Um, but you can order. You can get your hands on it. This is about a storm that I went through about, well, it was 2010. And we just, um, we were pioneering our church in Manchester, and I suffered something that um, I'd never suffered before, and that is chronic sleeplessness. So that's what they, that's the, that's the official term um, for the fact that I just could not sleep. And I had two children at home that I was homeschooling, um, a church that was growing, um, a life that was going really well, um, didn't really understand what I was going through, but in the midst of that, found um, the healing power available to each and every one of us um, through meditating in God's presence. So this is all the lessons that I learned. Um, it's for people who are going through the storms of life, but it's for every Christian, really, because this is a biblical practice that I feel that the church is reclaiming in these days. So um, that's that. But um, a lot of people find it really hard to, to spend time with God in complete silence, because that's what I was doing. So we did a devotional album, and this album is specifically, so it's to help you just focus on the Lord. You see, it differs from a worship album because worship ha has words, and uh, it's very descriptive, it's very prescriptive. So when you're worshiping um, in a worship album, you know, you've got themes for every song. What we tried to do is take most of the words out of the, um, of the music so that it's just an aid. It's just a, a musical aid to help you hear from God yourself, whatever he's saying. So uh, I didn't bring any of those, but we've got flyers in the foyer uh, so that you can check that out. It's all available online as well. So that's gone and that's done. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, we are in Manchester, true, we've been doing church in Manchester about 10 years, but I am Chilean by descent, Australian born, you'll forgive me for that, won't you? And uh, British by choice. So I became British three years ago. Now I've been in Britain for 22 years, 22 years, and I only became a British citizen three years ago. But I felt like, you know, it needed to be a, uh, a thought, you know, I need to put a lot of thought into uh, whether I wanted to be British or not, because they are different. I am telling you, they are very different. So, um, but then they, they made it really to be British. Literally, I had to read a book and take an exam. And I'll tell you, most British people could not pass that exam. <laughs> I had to know about English soaps. I don't even, I don't watch English soaps. Oh my gosh, 
It's enough to get depressed about any, you know, in life in general. Why would I want to do that? But um, so three years ago, and do you know what, what my husband said when I went to go and get my, um, my certificate, you know, meet the mayor of Manchester and, uh, you know, become British? Uh, he said, you know what, Soph? He said, your IQ has just gone up. What do you think about that? So after he regained consciousness, <laughs> I, uh, we had a conversation about it. I put him straight, don't you worry. So 10 years we are in Audacious and we have been on a ride, an absolute roller coaster ride. I remember um, four years into doing church, we kind of had this feeling where we were like, when we started church, we knew that we would hit the ground running. We knew that it would be uh, fast growth. We knew that, that God would be doing a, a something very quickly. So what it felt like is that, you know, um, did anybody see Dunkirk? It kind of felt like that, where, um, or no, more like D-Day, I'd say, where the, the boats went in, the, the flaps went down, we all rushed onto the beaches. And we were doing that, we were kind of just running, just running, 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 and about four years later, we kind of stopped and thought, is everybody all right? <laughs> you know, how, how's everybody doing? Are you okay? All right, let's regroup. Let's regroup and then figure out where we're going from here. But uh, yeah, no, it's been an absolute ride. But what I want to share with you today is I want to share with you uh, a prophetic word that, that Audacious Church has been living in. And I believe that, that we are stepping into something very new something very new as, as a church globally. But what I'm going to need is I'm going to need um, a little bit of uh, congregation participation. Anybody Re ready for that? Well, wait till you hear what I'm going to get you to do. But anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to stand up all together because we're no longer in New Zealand. Why don't we stand? We're going to be transported, transported to another time, another place. Okay. And uh, we need some sound effects, hang a sec. Right now, there we are. Right now, we're in the wilderness, okay? All of God's people are together. And word has gone throughout the camp that this is the time. This is the time to go over into the promised land. We've been waiting hundreds of years. We've been told the stories. We've been told the promises. It was what sustained us in Egypt as we were slaves to the Egyptians, as we were doing hard labor. It's what sustained us in the, in the wilderness as we followed a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But now the word has gone out that now's the time and we are all gathered on the banks of the Jordan River. It hasn't, the, the miracle hasn't happened yet. Can we still have water, please? We're, thank you. We're, I know that you all want to go to the toilet, but just, just, just bear with me, all right? Can you just hold it for about half an hour? That'd be great. So we're all gathered and I need Pastor Sam to come up and read the word for us. I've got it here for you. Do you need glasses? Okay. It's in red. 
It's in red. Okay. Yeah. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. It's in the Bible, it's in the Bible. Just saying. And went to the Jordan, where they were camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move it. You are, oh, I lost my place. You are to move out from that position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Verse five, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you'll know the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pir and all those other ites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Give pastor a hand. Who thinks they've got the best pastors in the whole wide world? We honor you guys. We love you and we honor you. Why don't you take a seat? Because you're gonna get tired. Okay, I wanted to pull out um, a, couple of, a couple of lines from this. This message is called, You Have Never Been This Way Before. So this is the, uh, this is the first thing, where it says, you, have, you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. And the other thing that jumps out at me of this passage is when Joshua in verse five says to, to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves for the Lord tomorrow will do amazing things among you. Now I feel like we are now in a new, a new day for the church. But what I love about this new day is that it's different to a new season. It's more, it's more like a new era. Because a new season is something that we understand. You see, in a new season, we know that we've got winter, which is coming. We're in autumn now, winter. And then there'll be spring, and then there'll be summer. And then there'll be autumn, and then there'll be winter. And then there'll be spring, and there'll be summer. So when we're talking about seasons, we understand what we're going to be facing. We know that in a winter season that we're going to have things stripped away from us, perhaps. Maybe it's in a part where we will see nothing, no life going on in our world. And in a spring season, we understand that this is where everything is new and everything's exciting and everything is, you know, it's, it's, we're at the beginning of something. 
We're at the beginning of kind of an, an exciting time where God is moving and he's doing an ama- amazing things. But seasons are cyclical. This is a different time. This is a new day. This is a day where we have never been this way before. You see, when you're going to a new place, I was, when I was 18, I did the backpacking thing. My parents um, organized, this is what, my, my dad was living in Chile, my mum was living in Australia. They decided between um, high school and university that they were going to pay for me to go around the world, which is great. Thanks, mum and dad. And uh, so I went backpacking. And what you do when you go to a new place is usually you check out TripAdvisor because you want to know where the good places to stay are, you want to know where the good restaurants are, you want to know, you want to know what other people know. You want to know the wisdom that other people have, the experience that other, other people have. But the best thing you can do when you go to a new place is that you find a local. And that's pretty much what I did when I was traveling. I would go to a place, but I always made sure that wherever I went, I knew somebody. Even if it wasn't somebody that I knew personally, but it was somebody that somebody that somebody knew. You know, a friend of a friend of a friend. I always found a local that I could say, look, you know, this is what I want to do. Where should I go? What are the best places to go? Because when, you, when you're with a local, then you don't have to necessarily go to the, you know, the popular places. You can go to the back streets and you can find the best the kind of the best food and, you know, the, the way the locals live, that's the best way to do it. You can, you can ask them, you know, can you help me with the currency? What, what does this money mean? You know, where, where are the places to go and where are the places not to go? But what do you do when you're in a time when all of us are tourists? There's no one to ask. There's no one, there's no one who's been there. There's no one to say, you know, how do you navigate this journey? No, we are on the banks of the Jordan River, looking over the river to the promised land. And we have never been this way before. What do you do? This is what the Bible says. Let's just step into it. I feel like we need more. Can you imagine what they were feeling at this time? Imagine for a moment that you're stood there with your family. Imagine that, you know, you're there with your wife, your husband, your children, your mum, your dad, your uncles and aunties. Imagine that you're stood there. I can picture a family Maybe some of the men of your tribe talking to each other, going, do you know what's going on? No. No, no, I've got no idea. Um, Do you think Joshua, like, understands that the Jordan's in flood? Like, the river is in flood. Somebody's got to talk to us. Like somebody has to do something. Can you imagine that some of the men in the tribe are going, this is insane. What are we supposed to do? We've got nothing. Well, how are we going to get our family over to the other side 
to the promised land, this cannot be the time. Come on, the Jordan has been a lot smaller than this. Why wasn't that the time? This is crazy. This is not the time to go. Can somebody get the elders together? Can somebody get, can we get a committee for goodness sake? Can, can, we, can we kind of like, you know, go to, to Joshua? I mean, the guy has lost it. We, I mean, Moses seemed to know what he was doing. This guy doesn't seem to understand. This is insanity. There is no way that I'm going to put my family through this. This is not the time, Joshua. How are we going to do this? And I can imagine that the children sensing the atmosphere. Children playing but still feeling the uncertainty, feeling the, like, what on earth is going on? And maybe a teenager going up to his dad, saying, hey, dad, yes, son. Where's the cloud? Um, I want to, I don't know. Dad, did you see the pillar of fire last night? No, son, I didn't. What does that mean? Oh, I don't know, mate. I don't know. They had never been this way before. 40 years they know what they've been doing. They have been following a cloud. They have been following a pillar of fire. They know exactly what they're doing. But now they're facing a river and it's in flood. What do you do when you have never been this way before? After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. Verse 2, giving orders to them. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it. Then you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. This is, this is how simple it is in this new day that we have never been this way before. All God is asking of us is to look for the presence of God. Just look for Him. Look for where he is going. But I want you to see something, that this is all hands on deck. You see, before this, we had the man of God, and he went into the presence of God. We were too afraid. We stayed at the bottom of the mountain. We were too afraid. We stood at the, at the entrance of God, and then we would hear, what does the Lord say? What does he want us? But this is a new day. The day is now you look for the presence of God. We're all on the banks of the Jordan River. I need to know, where are you? Are you able to see Him? Are you positioned in your life in a way that you can look for the presence of God? Are you in a position to, to hear Him? Because this is a new day. Everybody needs to be able to look and everybody needs to be able to listen. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here. I love it. I don't know where you are, but this is what the Lord is saying. Come here. Where are you? Come here. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is what you do. 
is that you look for the presence of God. If he turns right, you go right. If he steps left, you go left. If he goes forward, you go forward. This is what you need to do. You need to position yourself, not behind somebody else, not, not, not through. You need to position yourself in a place where you can see him. Wherever the presence of God goes, that is the way to go. Look and position yourself to listen. Some of you need to draw closer. It's not enough to just be here. You've got to look and you've got to listen. The best thing about this is that the Joshua goes throughout, the order goes throughout the camp. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Now, consecrate is not a word that we normally use in everyday language. You know, we're not telling our children, you can have dessert, but before that, did you consecrate yourself? <laughs> Mom, can I watch TV? Did you consecrate yourself? You know, it's not something, I mean, what does it even mean? Consecrate yourself. Well, this is what it means. It means to anoint. It means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to bless. It means to sanctify. That means to separate to a noble purpose, to sanctify, to be set apart. It means to devote. It means to come into single focus. In this new day, it is time for us to actually anoint, to set ourselves apart and to come into devotion and to come into single focus. It is not a time to have your fingers in many pies. This is the time to come into single focus and single devotion. Look for the presence of God. Listen to the word of the Lord and follow it. I love this because normally when we talk about consecration in the Bible, it's usually something that God does. He's, he anoints. He sanctifies. He blesses. But this is new. This is different. It's consecrate yourself. This is this is your responsibility. This is where we take ownership of what is happening in our life right now, what God is doing right now. We take ownership and we come to single focus. And so, Lord, I am devoting myself. I'm positioning myself to look for where you are. I'm positioning myself to listen to what you are saying. Part of consecration, church. If we're going to go forward, we're going to do that whole thing, come into single focus, look, listen, follow. I know this sounds basic, but stay with me. We're going to have to leave some stuff behind. You see, they were in that place that Pastor Sam talked about, that unfortunate sounding name, which actually may, means the place of acacia trees, which sounds so much more romantic, doesn't it? But something happened in that place when they were camped. Before they went to uh, the banks of the Jordan River and they were in this moment, they were camped at that place of acacia trees. It happened there. Something really bad happened there. Let's pick it up in Numbers 25. I'm reading from the message translation. And it says here, oh no, this is a little bit further down. Let me give you the scene then. What happened was is there, that they were hanging out with the Midianites. So the Hebrew people, these guys that have gone into the wilderness to worship God, that God had showed himself strong in the wilderness, they had mates. And their mates were the Midianites. 
and they were hanging out. But something happened at this place just before God was going to say, this is the time to go to the promised land. And it was the Midianite women had actually seduced some of the Hebrew men to help them worship their God. And he's got a jazzy name called the Baal de Pure. Now, what you need to know about the Baal de Pure is that this God is a fertility God. And in order to worship the fertility God, they had to have sex with the Hebrew men and they seduced them. And as soon as that they were engaged in, in worshipping this other God, the Baal de Pior, a plague broke out in camp and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were dying. And sure enough, the people immediately cried out to God, cried out to Moses and said, make it stop. You know, we're dying here. People are dropping like flies. It was just in carnage, absolute carnage. So Moses goes to God and says, what do we do? And this is what God said to Moses. He says, from here on in, make the Midianites your enemies. Fight them tooth and nail. They turned out to be your enemies when they seduced you in the business of pure. Now this is interesting because what it says to me is that, okay, from now on, make them your enemies because they seduced you into worshiping their God. That means that, like I said, before that, they are not your enemies. They were hanging out, they were doing life, they were making friends, they were doing all sorts, you know, they were doing life together. The Midianites kind of come and just to hang out with the Hebrew people. But now that they seduced you away from me, now that they seduced you into worshiping the Baal of the Pure, now that they took your heart, make them your enemies, but don't just ignore them. No, you fight them tooth and nail. So when we're coming into a place that we are now stepping into this new day, this new thing that God wants to do, this new era of church, you're gonna have to leave some stuff behind. You're gonna have to fight some things tooth and nail. And if there are things that were good, there were things that, that, that were your friends. It could be people. It could be people that, that have been with you for, for years. It could be relationships that you feel a certain loyalty to and you feel a certain attachment to. Because don't forget that the Midianites, the father-in-law of Moses, this was family in a way. The father-in-law of, of Moses was a priest in Midian. And they were, I mean, they were tied. But now, in order to go forward into the promised land, you've got to understand what is it or who is it that takes you away from God's presence? What is it that takes and asks for your heart? Because it could be something good that served you, that served you in, in the wilderness, but right now it's taking you away. Your tribe, your nation, your church, they're standing on the banks of the Jordan River and they're ready to go forward into this new day, but where are you? Are you somewhere where you think, but these people, I owe them. They're my 
friends. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a way of doing life. Maybe it's a coping mechanism. But you know that it takes you away from God's presence. It dulls your, it dulls your, your hearing. It takes away, it makes you blind to where he is. What is that? I just want you to ask yourself, what's asking for your heart? You see, we're an Instagram generation where we can like, you know, we can, we can like so many things. We can take a bit of this and a bit of that and we, we like to go here and we've, got, and we've got all these things going on. There's so many people that are asking for our hearts. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. There's lots of things that are calling for our money, asking for our money, asking for our heart, asking for our resources, asking for our heart, asking for our time, asking for our heart, asking for our creativity, asking for our heart, asking for our passion, our energy, our thinking, our focus. But that's, that's, it's not the time for that. And I want you to say that it's not even... It's not even just something that you need to leave behind. The Bible says, treat it as your enemy. It is now your enemy. They don't want to wish it badly on you. It's just that they've got another, they've got another focus. And you've got to fight for your focus. You've got to fight to be single-hearted and single-minded and to bring your devotion. You've got to fight those things tooth and nail. You've got to kill those things in your life, the, the hold that they have on your heart. Can I just share with you, um, when we were, uh, Glenn and I got married two weeks after we graduated Bible college when we were uh, in Australia. And we already knew that year it was Glenn's third year, my second year of Bible college. We already knew that we were going to move to England and that we were going to take up a youth pastoring position in a church in Sheffield. We knew that this is where God was taking us. And so getting married two weeks after graduation, we were going to go on our honeymoon, which was seven weeks. I know. And... Uh, we we're going to come back, we we're going to pack up, and we we're going to move to England. So our reception, you know where everybody's doing the speeches? You've got, you know, you've got your set speeches that happen. My brother, who is seven years my junior, he was 18 at the time, and he was emceeing my reception, our reception. I shared, I shared. And uh, anyway, so we were like doing the whole, you know, thing speeches, except I did a speech, which is not traditional, but then I've always got something to say, and uh, my brother got up and he said, look, you guys know that uh, Glenn and Sophie are moving to England, so we're going to just leave an open mic, and we're going to just, if you want to say anything, you, you know, if you just want to, you know, say goodbye, oh my goodness, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing ended up to be this massive, like, oh, we just love you guys, and you just, you know, and I was bawling my eyes out. It was one after another. We didn't even get our, like, first dance or anything like that. We, we, it was just one speech after another, and then we had to kind of, like, jump into a car and, and head to the airport to catch a flight. It was 
insane. As I looked out on all those people, my family, my friends, my church, you know, my people that I had done life with, people that I had so many memories with, people who I loved. When we got back from honeymoon, a week later, Glenn's dad passed away. And now his mum's a widow. And I'm not going to lie, it was a horrible time. And Glenn thought, I don't know if I can do this. You know, Lord, didn't you say that we've got to look after the widows? Didn't you say? And yet God had called us to the other side of the world. I tell that story because I want you to know that there are some things you've got to leave behind. Now, I'm, we're, we're really, really fortunate because my mother-in-law is a woman of God. And she released us to go. And she said, I'm going to be all right. God's going to look after me, but you need to go. And so we went. There are some things that you have to leave behind. And it's not geography I'm talking about. Just stuff that, that you know you're... You, God is calling you forward. You've, you've gone into single focus. He's moving forward, but you, you're kind of looking back and going, but what about these guys? But what about this? It's time. It's time to leave them behind. It's time to fight them tooth and nail. It's time. If you stay, it's going to kill you. It's going to take you away from what you were born for. Because let me tell you something. You were not born for the wilderness. You were not born for this place. You were born for the promised land. You have territory in the promised land. God has something for you in the promised land. This is not it. If you thought this is a church, this is great. But this is not it. Every church is a tribe. Every church is, has territory. Every church has a promise in the, in the promised land. Every church has influence. Every church has something that God is calling you to. But we need everybody in we need all hands on deck. This is not just for the chosen few. It is for everybody to look, to listen, to consecrate, and to leave some stuff behind that they need to leave behind. We need your heart. Look, listen, where is the Lord going? What's he saying? What's, where is he going? Because that's, it's time to move. Leave some stuff behind. There's just a little, 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 little factor of the river that's still in flood. And everybody's thinking, how is this going to work? We've got no boats. This is insane. Can I just say that that's a really good sign? If you are in a situation where God you know is calling you forward, but it looks crazy, it looks insane. The river represents intimidation. And when a river is in flood, as we kind of tried to show with our, with our sound effect, it's loud. I don't know if you've ever been in a river that is got, it's full of water. It's just raging. And it's, it's wild. And it's dangerous. And it's, it's just loud. 
This is the voice inside your head that says, this is not the time for you. This is not the time. You need to just wait. You're not ready. You don't have what you need. You need to stop. You need to go back. You need to go back to what you know. You need to go back to what is familiar. You need to go back to what is comfortable. And maybe regroup a little bit later. When the river is down, when the circumstances look right, when everything looks like it's, you know, is all the doors are opening to you. You know, that's the biggest myth in the church today, that an open door means God. Sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes there is no door, and God's telling you to go through. You know what I'm saying? You're like, it's the voice inside your head that says, this is not for you. But can I tell you that that is because tomorrow, as you consecrate yourself, the Lord is about to do amazing things in your midst. And amazing means beyond comprehension. Amazing means beyond what you can do in the natural. Amazing things beyond what makes sense. God is about to do amazing, miraculous, crazy stuff on your behalf. It's time to face the river. It's time to face that voice inside your head. It's time to face the intimidation. It's time to go into the river. Can I just say, I know who you are in the wilderness. Your pastors know who you are in the wilderness. We know what church looks like in the wilderness. We've been doing it for years. We know who is on our right and we know who's on our left. We know, I know your personality in the wilderness. I know what you, you feel comfortable with in the wilderness. But can I just say that this is a new day? Because as you step into your intimidation, as you step into the promised land, we have never been this way before. I don't know who you are on the other side. I don't know what church looks like on the other side. You see, I know what your praise looks like on this side. But I don't know what your praise looks like on the other side. I know what your worship looks like, but I don't know what your worship looks like on the other side. I know that you are nice and you like to sit back and you don't like to, you know, be too crazy and you don't like to, you know, show too much on the outside in the wilderness. But I don't know. You could be the most crazy, passionate person on the other side of the river. It's time to go to a place that you have never been before. You see, you think you know who you are. You think you know who you are. You see, because you've done all the tests. But I don't know who you are on the other side. As you look, as you listen, as you concentrate. I'm thinking, just a sneaky suspicion, that it could be exactly the opposite to everything you have known. There's this really great line in Hitch. Anybody like Hitch? This guy comes up to Hitch and, he, and Hitch has put him in the suit, you know, like a really, really sharp suit with, with really, really sharp shoes, shiny shoes. And the guy kind of goes up to him and he's like, you know what? He said, I just don't think it's me like this. And Hitch just looks at him and he says, you, is a very fluid concept right now. <laughs> I'm talking to the you that brought the suit and who brought the shoes. I want you in this new day to have a very fluid concept of who you are because God is about to do 
amazing things in our midst. Is anybody ready for that? Yeah. Hallelujah. So what do we do in our intimidation? Well, the Bible says something really cool. If I can find it. It says, take the Ark of the Covenant. Tell the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and step into the river. Can I have the band up? There they are. Wonderful. What does that mean? It's time to step into the river. Step into your intimidation. Well, you certainly don't wait till it goes down because it ain't going down. No. You see, you've been listening to it for too long. It's time to now step into it. And what you do is you take his presence. You take your praise into your intimidation. You lift up the name of Jesus in your intimidation. Ah, oh, this is not religion. This is not, this is not, this is not just Christian liturgy. No, no, no. You take your praise into the intimidation because the intimidation is loud. And can I just say, you've got to take your praise to a volume that drowns out your intimidation because the intimidation is telling you, get back, sit down. You've got nothing. You don't belong here. This is not for you. Your intimidation is saying you, this is, you are crazy to even think that God would need you. You are crazy to even think that God's got anything for you on the promised land. You are weak. You've always started something, but you never finished it. The intimidation is convincing. The intimidation is strong. The intimidation has been with you for years. And you have never challenged it because it almost becomes a part of you. This is the kind of intimidation that requires a new praise. A praise that says, Jesus! Jesus, you are great. Jesus, you are good. Jesus, I give you everything. Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, I look to you. Jesus, I put my trust in you. Jesus. Jesus. It's a praise. Your nation is on the banks of the Jordan River and it's ready to move forward. God, the word has gone out throughout the camp and it says, consecrate yourself. Look and listen to where the presence of God is. Don't get comfortable here. This isn't it. Don't get comfortable with what you know. Man of God, do not get comfortable with what you know. You think you got it sorted? You think you know how this works? You know nothing. This is so much better than what you know. God has got something for you that you is going to blow your mind. This is bigger than you. It's about your family. It's about your children. It's about what you want for them. They need you to stand in your intimidation. And so, Lord, I'm looking and I'm listening. I'm not looking at the river. I'm not worrying about the river. I'm just looking for what your word says. And I'm going to move. I'm going to do whatever it takes to move. I'm going to do whatever it takes to leave what I know behind and move. We've got to step into it. And this is a praise that goes beyond.
And I just want to encourage Pastor Sam and Pastor Kathy with the building. That it's in the crazy times where God says yes. When it doesn't make sense. You know, we were moving into our own building and it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Seven days before we were supposed to sign on the dotted line to pay for a building that we felt God had given to us, the banks pulled out and we had no money. Seven days before we had to sell, sign on the dotted line and if we didn't sign, they were going to give it to somebody else. We needed a building and God had given us this building. It, we just, we knew it. There, were, there was too much. The, the person who was selling us the building actually recognized that God was with us, which is a sign that I always look for. When God is giving, I feel like, even if they don't know the Lord, just a recognition that God's with you, that you are God's people. But then we're, it was crazy. In seven days, we had to come up with 2.5 million Jordan dried up and we could walk across on the dry land. This is the kind of life that you were called to. Your Christianity is boring. Your Christianity is a bit mm, bam sandwich. You know, and dumbstep. And, you know, praise God. that's your Christianity, you ain't living it. This is what you were called to. You were called to cross rivers that are in flood. You were called to go to cities that are shut up. You were called to fight. You were called to possess. You were called to dig 